Let us continue with meditation. In meditation, the study and practice of meditation, and the reason why I said the study and practice is not just um, the study of it. We have to practice it. Meditation means knowing it and actually carrying it out. You have to walk the board. You can just talk about it. So I said the study and the practice of meditation can be examined in two parts, major parts. Very quickly, let's do a review. It's concentration and contemplation. And contemplation, sometimes we refer to it as introspection. Introspection is a better word than contemplation, as a matter of fact. Um, concentration, we practice Anapanasati, and we already explained what is Anapanasati. Uh, and for contemplation, we practice Satipatthana. And Satipatthana, of course, the major portions of Satipatthana, it's the four introspections of the mind that we already have talk about in detail, and we're not going to do it again. So let's get on to the next one. So we say meditation, in and out breath, and we call it Anapanasati. That's what the Buddha taught us. And of course, nowadays, a lot of people, uh, they, may, they may have studied the Buddha's teaching, and then they mixed in their feelings about it, their practice about it, and they may say, this is our practice, my practice meditation, but everything actually flows from what the Buddha was talking about. But some, some people may just modified it and called it, I don't know, so many names, uh, they, how they call it. So we call it the in and breath, in and out breath meditation, and which includes, of course, again, concentration and contemplation. And in concentration, because now we emphasize on the in and out breath meditation. So how do we deal with the breath? Then we've been talking about concentration, the counting, the following, and the stabilization. We, we talk about counting in detail. How do we count from one to 10? And not until we reached the well done portion, the complete portion, the satisfactory and well controlled um, target of counting we won't continue. In other words, you have to be successfully completing the, the course. You have to graduate from counting before you go into following. And we'll already talk about that in detail. Then you have to graduate from the school of following before you get into stabilization. So counting, following, and stabilization is the concentration part, which is the, the summative part. And then the introspection is the contemplation includes introspection, returning, and purification. So these, if you talk about meditation and you don't know about these, you're not meditating at all. So that's what we've been concentrating in. And we talk about counting, we talk about following, and uh, let's continue. If you have been successful in, in counting, now you get into following. In following, how do you feel? How do you cultivate it? We already talked about how do you feel when you successfully complete your following procedures? You will be aware of the breath is coming in. You'll be aware that the breath is going out. Usually those people who are ruminating in all kinds of concepts and inward appearances and outward appearances, 
You're not aware of your breath coming in because you have been thinking about many other things that you are not aware of your breath coming in. So you should be aware of, the, of, of your breath coming in. That's the reason why some people say meditation, the purpose of meditation is to create your awareness. People who, did, who committed crime, they're not aware of the consequences. They are not aware of what they're doing. They just work on impulse, work on anger, work on jealousy, hatred, you, you name them. They're not aware that what they're doing bring a lot of dire, uh, uh, you know, uh, fatal consequences. So you, you should be aware. You must be aware of your breath coming in, aware of your breath going out in following. We already said counting. You must be aware the breath is long or short. The breath is coming in is long or, sh or short. Awareness, the breath permeates the body. You, you know that your breath now gets into the, your, 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 your throat and then you get into a lung and from the lung it goes on to every part of the body. You partially visualize the permeation of the breath into different parts of the body. So meditation is interesting, it's demanding, it's effort supplying, it's training. Um, just like when people play soccer ball, those people who are really expert in it, they are training, they receive training every day. All these famous, you know, professionals, uh, soccer players, they practice, practice every day to be successful in their skill of controlling the ball. So, in meditation, it's the same thing. Meditation is training your mind so that you can in the following, in that school of following, awareness, the breath permeates the body, relinquishing the all physical actions. Uh, that means calming the breath to release bodily fabrications. What does that mean? When, when you're meditating, you could be moving, you could, you could be feeling itchy, you could be feeling all kinds of bodily feelings. You, you'll be able to be aware of it, and you will be able to relinquish it, let it go. And then, six, the mental experience of joy. You feel joyful. When you are doing following well, you actually feel joyful in your meditation. And next, the mental experience of bliss. You actually feel blissful. Joy is a lower level than bliss. Joy is... Uh, a crude level of happiness. Bliss is a higher level of happiness. There's difference. There's degree of happiness. Next, the experiencing of all mental actions. Now, your number five is bodily fabrications. But other than physical bodily fabrication, you also have mental fabrications. You experience them and you're being aware of them. For example, you're meditating, you're following it, and then all of a sudden you thought about yesterday, your colleagues scolded you. You created these unhappy feelings. And why did they do that to me? Why did they talk to me like that? A lot of why, you know. Um, how come he's like that? Is he belittling me? Is he, he despised me? Or you, you created a lot of mental fabrications. Uh, you let them go. 
You experience them, you are aware of them, and you let them go. This is very difficult. Somebody wrongly accuse you of something at home or on the job. You hate it. You hate it, and you anchor that in your mind. You probably will anchor that in, in your mind for at least a few days, maybe weeks, maybe months. Some people want a physical revenge. You step on my back, I'm going to step on your back to get even in the future. You know, something like that. You are always anchor this mental fabrication in your mind. You thought that you've been ill-treated. You thought that's been unfair to you. You thought that um, uh, you have all kinds of mental afflictions coming up, uh, coming from recollection, com coming up from, from the past. You bring your past experiences that are terrible, that are abusive, onto the present, and you ruminate on it. You get painful on it. Although those experiences are gone, you still want to bring the experiences back and think about it and hate it. That's what we usually do. So you experience that when you are doing following, you know that you brought back all these mental afflictions of jealousy, hatred, greediness, anger, you name them. You like to brought them back and think about it now when you're doing following, you know, I want to let them go. I want to let them go. No more, no, none of these will affect me anymore. Can you do that? Extremely difficult. Some people would remember someone treated you unwell for years, for months. The way they talk to you. Or some, some people, so, your friend borrows some money from you, $10,000. He never repay you, and he disappeared. And you hated him because you thought you lost $10,000. You could have used the $10,000 to do a lot of other things. So you, you, somebody owes you something, you can't forget it. Even though that $10,000 is gone, but you still want to ruminate on it, you still want to be painful about it, you suffer from it. That's usually what we usually do. All right, next. The mental production of joy. Joy is coming to you in, 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 your, in, in your meditation, if you do following. The mental development of concentration. You can concentrate very well when you are doing following. So when we experience following, when we are practicing following, then, something happened, the development of concentration, and then something happened, the mental generation of liberation. What is liberation? Liberation is something that you anchor in your mind. All of a sudden, you let them go. All those grievances, all those unhappiness, all those that you have thought about that you feel very unhappy about, suddenly, during your meditation, they disappear. And you feel as if all these burdens on your shoulders were being laid down away from you. Sometimes meditation will bring that effect. You experience liberation in your meditation. Twelve, the contemplation of impermanence. Then at the same time, this is absolutely important, at the same time, you realize nothing is permanent. You know why? 
because your breath is impermanent. Every, every action in your body is impermanent. Every breath is changing. There's no breath in you that is not changing. Then you know that the changeability is an accepted fact in life. Everything changes. So you cannot make things unchanged. You can't say, yesterday's happiness, I want to lock it in. Every day, every day I will feel happy. I want to lock in my happiness. Can you lock in your happiness? You say, I want to lock in my sadness. Can you lock in your sadness? Because you know that everything is changing. So if you experience a failure in life, you say, I'm going to commit suicide. No. It's going to change. How do you want to change? So you walk your own life. The destiny is in your own hands. Do you want to change? I don't want to change. If you don't want to change, you're not liberated. Well, I don't allow changes. You have no right. You have no control. You have no power to allow unchangeability because everything is impermanent. Have you thought of one thing that is permanent that will not change? No. So if you fail, if you are unhappy, don't give up because tomorrow is another day. So if you are going stormy weathers now, who knows, tomorrow will be sunny. So what exactly benefit us by knowing impermanence? People say, in this life, then I should know impermanent, then I won't feel unhappy. I keep on making my money, getting my reputation, make more money, obviously make more money. It's changeability anyway. Yes, I make more money. But have you ever considered the impermanence of your own life? The Buddha has. The Buddha said nothing is impermanent. I mean, nothing is permanent. Everything is impermanent. That's why we are rotating in reincarnation all lives. Can we, can we go beyond changeability? Can we go beyond zamzara of rebirth and life and death? Sakyamuni Buddha ventured into that spiritual level where you are beyond changeability. Because impermanence always makes you unhappy. Changeability always makes you unhappy. Your marriage has changed. Your divorce. Something happened in the family. Everything changes. Makes you very, very unhappy. Do you want to go through the same rebirth in life and go through the same kind of unhappiness? The Buddha said, there's a way to get out. Deliberate yourself completely from it. Get out from life and death. Get out from samsara. But you've got to practice it to get out, not just talking about it. So knowing impermanence it's almost like a first step to get to spirituality, the first step to get to enlightenment. But that first step is the most important step. Lao Chi, one of our philosophers, says, millions of miles begin with the first step. Let's finish the 16th so I don't have to talk about it next time. All right. The contemplation of this passion not involved with the passion of greediness, hatred, ignorance. When you, in, in following, when you realize following, you, you know that you don't want to, in, to be involved with greediness, hatred, and ignorance because, they know, because you know that those are not for enlightenment. 
Those are afflictions that pull you down. So you want to get away from them. You, you want to get rid of them. Fourteen, the contemplation of abandonment of desire. All your desires for sensuous pleasures are gone. Some people say, should Buddhists have desire? There are many kinds of desires. The desires for sensuous pleasures, the desires for purity. Desire is a target, something that you want, an expectation, a target, an objective in life. A Buddhist must have a desire, but not the kind of desire that sensuous people have. Not the desire for wealth, reputation, desire for getting as much as you want at the expense of others. You want a desire to get out from suffering. You desire to get out from samsara. You still have desire, but the desire for purity of life, not the desire to hurt others, the desire to make more money, to make more wealth, to satisfy your sensuous pleasures, not that, that kind of desires will pull you down. Karmic desires will pull you down. But this desire is a spiritual, inconceivable, enlightenment desire. You've got to have desire. The desire to be better. All right? So, 15, the contemplation of cessation. Contemplation of nirvana. You always go to nirvana. You want, you want, to, you want to go beyond samsara. What is nirvana? Near is no, nothing. Vana is moving all the time. Our mind is moving all the time. That got us into trouble. So nirvana is to go to a state where there's inactivity, a state where no more of this desultory thoughts, no more of this desire for sensuous pleasures, no more of this mental afflictions. So nirvana. 16, the contemplation of renunciation. Renouncing neither perception nor non-perception. That's the highest level of the world because we have three worlds. The karmic, karmadhatu, world of desire, rupadhatu, world with form, or rupadhatu, world without form and desires. And that's the highest level of the samsara, samsaric world, world. So that's the highest level. But contemplation of renunciation, at this stage, if you, if you successfully complete this stage, you don't want to get back into the karmic world anymore. You wanted to go, you wanted to follow the enlightenment path all your life. Many people who arrive at this point, they would become a monk or a nun or a hermit or, or um, I don't know, uh, an ascetic but not the ascetic in such a way that only emphasizes the hardship. The ascetic is go away of life that is aiming at purity. So renunciation of worldly pleasures. Um, those are the 16 realizations. So if you graduated from the school of following, you will arrive at the 16. So some people say, what do I get from here? I'm at this meditative level, where do I from here? This is a checklist. Have you got this? If you have got this, you are successfully completing the course of following. Then what do you go? You go to the next step, which is stabilization, which we'll be talking about next time.